Hi everyone and welcome to this latest episode of Supply Chain Talk. Um, great that you can join us today. Uh, my name is Duncan Brock. I'm a director at the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply and I've got the pleasure of hosting uh, today's discussions. Um, those of you who've joined us before will know that we run this in a very um, lively format. We want to really encourage people to join in and discuss with us. So um, as you're joining us, please do put something in the chat, tell us where you're from. Um, and hopefully as we go forward, we'll get some good chat and some questions from you. Um, so last week we focused on being a good supply chain leader. Uh, we had a great panel and we were talking about different aspects of leadership. Um, today we're going to drop down into uh, a really more specific focus on um, sustainability, but really looking at how you can really support suppliers to focus on net zero and sustainability and the challenges of really doing that down through the supply chain. So really looking forward to that discussion. We've got a couple of great guests who are coming in with some real expertise, some real passion about how to drive this topic forward. So really looking forward to that discussion with them today. Um, so um, welcome. Uh, welcome to, um, I think Mark, I've just seen you, you joined us again. So welcome to you. Welcome back to you, Trudy. Um, I see someone uh, also saw me in the QE2 Centre earlier today. Um, so um, welcome to you, Namdi. I think um, I was at a, a proper conference uh, a bit earlier today. Uh, we had a, a discussion around uh, challenges of being in supply chain, leading supply chains forward. And I had the pleasure of being on a panel discussion, uh, both on that topic, but also talking about sustainability. So uh, it was quite nice to balance a face-to-face -face, uh, conference with also being here in, in today's supply chain talk. So um, welcome to you, Namdi. Good to see you again. Um, so uh, please do get involved as you are already. Chat, um, any Q&A, any good questions you've got for our two guests, uh, please do pop them up there and I'll make sure I bring those into today's discussion. And we have a little incentive for those of you who haven't seen it before. We have this really fantastic high-quality supply chain talk mug, which uh, I give out one to the, at the end to the person who's really uh, maybe added the best comment or chat or ask the best question, which has really stimulated the discussion and the debate for us. So please do enter, please do get involved and really look forward to, to this uh, session. Um, so a couple of guests, I'm going to bring um, the first one in now. Um, so uh, Alexandra Hammond, if you could join us. Uh, Alexandra is the Head of Sustainable Procurement and Supply Chain at NHS England and NHS Improvement. So uh, Alexandra, welcome to you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Duncan. Great to be uh, here. Yeah, and I think you've also been to a live conference today, and I think you just said you just managed to get into a hotel room and check in. So um, th thanks for doing that, and thanks for joining us on time. That's great. Uh, yeah, it's been great. I'm actually in Liverpool. Um, uh, I have a, a, a beautiful view of, of, of the docks, which is great. And um, yeah, speaking about uh, net zero and supply chains to, to food suppliers, actually, at the Hospital Caterers Association. So um, busy day, but but really uh, exciting to, to be part of this discussion. That's good. Thank you. And, and maybe just a little bit about yourself, Alexandra. So, so what is your role at, at NHS? Uh, I'm head of sustainable procurement and supply chain at NHS England, uh, NHS Improvement, um, the national body for the National Health Service. And that covers a lot of things, but essentially what my role is uh, tasked with doing is decarbonizing the supply chain of the NHS. So about 62% of 
uh, the carbon footprint of the NHS sits within our supply chain. Um, so our suppliers and our supplier suppliers. Uh, so I'm tasked with uh, that that um, uh, slightly formidable uh, challenge, but um, it means that I get to spend a lot of times have a lot of time having conversations with suppliers and people who make purchasing decisions um, about how we can uh, begin to really incorporate that into the way we make decisions. That's great, thank you. Thanks, Alexandra. Thanks for joining us. Um, the first part of supply chain talk, we, we, we pick up a, an article that hopefully stimulates a discussion a bit more about the broader topic. And then we'll, a bit later, we'll get into the more specific focus on the suppliers. Um, but there's an article that was um, sort of came out last month. Um, and it was an article about supply chain sustainability and zero challenges. And this was a, a research team from uh, Harper Adams University who were looking at this for HSBC. And I think when you look at this article, they, they I think they really focused on a couple of case studies. Um, one was um, with Belton Farm, uh, which is a, a cheese uh, a cheese producer in, in Shropshire. And the other one was a fresh fresh food producer, Bacavore. Um, but I think you, they used those two case studies to really say, okay, so what are the challenges associated with supply chain uh, sustainability? And a few things came through to me as I read through this. One is communication. You know, what they said was effective communication to your suppliers, to your supply chain, letting them know what's coming, what they want, what you want from them, and so on. But also communication the other way, you know, listening to the customers, communicating to customers. So I think communication came through quite strongly. Um, I think it's also uh, maybe going to come back to you in Alexandra in a minute, but complex supply chains. I mean, they, uh, the supply chains we all deal with are very complex. And, and working your way through that and, and focusing on that. And I'm sure we'll, we'll pick that one up as well. But they also touched on technology and the fact that technology can bring huge benefits, both short and long term, but it, it's going to take some real time to maybe invest in the right technologies to pull that forward in the right way. So um, I think really interesting, some really good research and insights there, but probably nothing we didn't know, um, but actually using a couple of case studies to bring it to life. But I mean, Alexandra, I'd be interested in, I suppose, you know, based on where you started from, your experience of, of that sort of challenge and whether those key elements resonate with you. I mean, communication, 100%. So one of the, the challenges that we've often had with supply chain uh, work in any way, not necessarily specific to net zero, is having um, one-way conversations with our suppliers, so telling them what to do, but not listening to what they're already doing. Um, but also, um, uh, our suppliers telling us, you know, giving us what they think we want, but we don't necessarily tell them what we want. We're not necessarily driving the right kinds of behaviors from our supply chain. So the the elements of communication in that article really resonated with me because we, as as the NHS, have. Um, been really focusing on this in the last year. Um, I, I took up this role in April last year, so a, a year ago. Um, and the first thing that we were, that really was that my, my main priority was this, was really signaling to suppliers what we wanted from them, participating in that conversation with suppliers early on. So from now, between now and, and the end of the decade, we want suppliers to do a number of different things. We've had, a, so we have a supplier roadmap that we've 
had approved by our board that then sets out specific dates and really is clear about the 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 milestones um, uh, for for contracting with the NHS, and that's really our 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 really a key part of how we plan to be effectively liaising with our supply chain on this. I think what's interesting as well is what I really liked was the, the, the conversation about technology, which, which is changing more rapidly than we've ever experienced in our lifetimes. We are, we, technology has the power to really shift the way that we buy, the way that we, um, the products and services that we need in the first place, um, the way that we, we work with our, our, in our patients, with our customers, um, in other supply chains. And, and, you know, I think that's, that rapid change really needs to be reflected in the conversations we're having with suppliers to be able to make sure we take advantage of the opportunities there, because there are definitely some risks as well. So lots and lots in that article, I think, to talk about. Yeah, and I think I've just seen a couple of uh, comments in from John Henderson, which I'll maybe sort of build on two of those, because one of his comments was around the fact that you, know, you need to improve communication and collaboration skills. Um, I think back to you, the point you just made there, you know, often you can transmit, but you don't actually never know if people have really got that message or you're not listening to feedback on it, which I think is a good point. I think he also says that you need to combine technology and human behaviour to be able to deliver that change. I think that sort of resonates with exactly what you said there. It's, it, it is all those aspects. Um, John. <laughs> yeah, but, but in a way, it's quite challenging um, because, I mean, just, just effectively, you, I mean, you've got a vast supplier base across the NHS. How, how do you communicate effectively so they, they all uh, both get the message but also give a chance to feedback because it's, it's a, you've probably got one of the biggest supply chains in the UK, haven't you? Yeah, and 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 you know, having been at this conference earlier today, I'm I'm speaking with suppliers, and they're saying we want to talk to you, we want to work with you, we want to, and you know, with the best will in the world, we can't have conversations with every single supplier. We have between eighty and a hundred thousand suppliers within the NHS. Um, so you know, our team just does not have the resource to have that conversation with every single supplier. But what we do need to do, that's why our guiding principles are so important to get those out. But then also to have ways of communication back from the supply chain. So our team holds a, a supplier forum every every other month. And we use that forum as a, as a way of, of communicating out, but also getting feedback from our suppliers. Um, we don't invite 100,000 suppliers to that forum. We, we invite the trade bodies that represent those suppliers. So they are a really important conduit and an advocate for their members to us, as well as, you know, really important um, part of our, our kind of um, development, because we need to understand what it is that their, their, their members are feeling. And they, they do a big part of the, the legwork for that uh, uh, for us. Right. And, and I think that's, you know, you, you're coming there about suppliers say, well, who do I talk to? You know, I've been trying to talk to somebody and I just don't know who to share this with and who's the right person who will lift it up and take it forward and maybe that's a topic we'll come back to because i think engaging suppliers in the right way there is key i think you, you point about trade bodies a really interesting one isn't it because some of them are very effective but some of them you know, we deal with some and you, and you don't necessarily see that they're as proactive as you'd like them to be so while they're representing their their members or their suppliers are they really doing a good job on your behalf of communicating that effectively down through through to their members uh, in a way that's landing with them uh, and is resonating. And 
advocating and because you know, you've got a middleman already then haven't you yeah absolutely i mean it's it's by nature a, a, a less than efficient process than we would like because we want to be able to have those conversations directly um but but you know i think we we it shows the the value of a really good trade body um because they can really be an advocate for their members and and actually we're quite fortunate in that many of ours are quite um they're they're very proactive with us which is great but uh, you know i do think the other thing is just getting out there i mean i know with covid it's really hard to do that and you have to do it sort of virtually and it's having it's, it's being able to say we're here this is this is on our website i know websites are a bit passe these days but but this is this is our roadmap you know here it is this is what we expect you know by 2023 we need your scope one and two emissions give us you know let's have those conversations now so that by 2023 that's no big deal you know and and John's right. We can't assume that 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 we're that they're hearing us. We have to keep having that conversation, keep putting that that conversation out there. And um, so, trade bodies are one are one conduit um, and an avenue. Um, but you know, we use a lot of social media. We use the press. I mean, there's a lot of things that we are really keen to make sure that we're we're saying. Um, uh, but but. You know, keeping the messages relatively simple, so when they're heard, they're heard clearly, is is also really, really pivotal in in terms of of getting that conversation established. Yeah, yeah. clarity in message and clarity of requirements coming through, which is really strong. Uh, let, let me bring in um, our, our second guest. Uh, so Haley Gauntlet uh, is going to join us. She's a director at QBL Consulting. Um, so uh, Haley, if you could uh, come and join us, that would be great. Um, we'll just wait, hopefully, for it to get a camera and a microphone on. So uh, good to see you, Hayley. Um, so I, I sort of gave you a very broad sort of, here's your job title, Director of QBL Consulting, but maybe describe a bit more about who you are and, and what you do. Um, and you, you do need to turn your microphone on. And I know, I'm not going to say you're on mute because that, I hate <laughs> me, but um, oh, thank you for turning your microphone on as well. You'd think I'd never done this before. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, but basically, yes, yeah, so I'm um, a consultant and I work with uh, FTSE 100 companies uh, mostly um, to help them uh, sort of like navigate through the issues around um, around sort of like modern slavery specifically, but also, uh, you know, from a broader human rights perspective. So when we're talking about sustainability, I'm on the social side of sustainability um, and working in these areas, especially when, and I completely agree with what Alexandra was saying in terms of about uh, communication and collaboration. Uh, you know, my experience is that people just do not communicate enough um, to their supply chain about what they want. Um, you know, and I think that we're in terms of the supply chains that I am now like used to that I've been, you know, I've been doing this for more than 20 years, um, sort of like helping people in their supply chains around labor rights and human rights standards. Um, the, the more forward thinking um, organizations are basically setting their sort of like setting their sort of like supply chain up to be, take a lot more ownership as well, rather than just about that one way communication of this is what we expect you to do. It's actually we expect you to own this agenda. It's not us just saying, you know, that's absolutely what you need to do. I, I, so, so to follow that through, so I suppose you, you can say that message and you can say I want you to own it. But um, 
I mean, I suppose the challenge is, will, do suppliers own it? Do they really feel that there's, they have that sort of compelling need to change? Because, I mean, I can see you know, if you're part of the government um, set up, you know, there's a big drive to forward. If you've got investors pushing you uh, to do things, you'll drive forward. But uh, if the customer's asking you, do you really need to do it? Or is that sort of seen as oh, a big cost and a bit of effort? I'm not sure if I really want to yet. I think, like I say, um, I mean, I, I do a lot of my sort of business originally was in the food industry. Um, so so basically with retailers um, and I do still work with retailers, um, uh, quite a few of them. But I also I work a lot uh, um, in energy construction, various different areas now. Um, but I think that, you know, the retailers were quite a bit further forward in some of the initiatives. Um, initially around um, procurement of you know responsible sourcing because they were being pushed by consumers and by investors and absolutely you know there, there was a lot of dragging people to the table but I do think um, you know one of this study highlights two actually that the um, the article looks at two businesses two such businesses in the food industry and one of them I know very very well and they are part of a supplier initiative that is actually um that originally was like proposed by the retailers but this is now owned and driven by the supply chain it's not the retailers um uh, doesn't belong to the retailers it's basically them calling themselves to account so i think and that was set up in 2000 and um 2015 um and it's a it's basically an, uh, an initiative called fnet and i don't know if anyone else has heard of it but it is purely the suppliers saying, you know, we have to own this agenda as well. So I think you can, do you know, is it, does it go all the way through the supply chain at the moment? No, because it's not old enough to be able to do that. But I do think that where you can, you know, where, where you are a little bit more matured in those relationships, the key thing around EFNA is this communication and collaboration. Absolutely, because it's all the peer groups working together. They may be in competition with each other, but they've really understood that they can't be in competition with each other to be able to to uh, address some of these key issues. Uh, and I think you know, collaboration is is challenging to do. Um, but actually, I think you know when when I talk to people on this, they they say as you say, I can't do it myself. But actually, if collectively we get together and start to really drive this change through, we will be heard. And we'll yeah, get some of the improvements we want to make, but quite challenging. What, what's, your, what's your view on the use of technology in this space, Kaylee? Because that was the other sort of element that came through in this sort of uh, article about, you know, it's, it's starting to make some impact. There's some short and long term benefits, but, it, but even there, it takes time to implement, invest, and then start to get the benefits from it. Yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, I mean, I can't talk about the environment, environmental sustainability part of it. I know some things that happen for, for technology on that. Um, but I know that um, from a social sustainability perspective, there is an investment in technology at the moment, um, especially around things like um, worker voice, um, a way of accessing workers that actually cuts out sometimes the requirement or not cuts it out it basically changes the dialogue between um, a company and um, the the workers in that supply chain so for example rather than having audits where you go to you get an auditor who goes out and interviews people what you actually do is you make um, technology available through mobiles and through apps to actually take in that worker voice from a certain community 
And that's doing a lot to actually strengthen worker voice in, in communities, especially hard to reach communities. For example, on fishing vessels, where it's very different, difficult to actually help support workers um, on fishing vessels um, and ensure that there's no issues around sort of like inhumane treatment and things like that. So actually allowing this um, ability for them to be able to communicate via technology rather than rather than have to be next to somebody face to face is a real bonus. And I know that that's that's actually really helped people. So I do I do see that there's a there's a way forward. I mean, I do know of some environmental ish, um, work that's being done around, you know, deforestation in Brazil and, and sort of like, uh, you know, um, and sort of like using satellite mapping and things like that. And so that can only be a good thing. Um, also, the sort of like, you know, again, st sticking with um, fishing, but it's actually trying to, to use technology to stop the um, unregulated and illegal fishing practices. So without technology, it's a very, very difficult um, um, you know, thing to, to actually be able to do. Um, so I do think technology is, is really important going forward, but I do also think you need that human interaction um, as well as that, because you can't do it all with technology. And especially with, uh, from a social perspective, you know, people like to speak to people, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. Yeah, I, I, and you know, you can influence far better by communicating effectively with people. I think we described there as technology being a bit of an enabler. So yeah. if you're looking for information, you're looking for clarity, what's going on, that visibility, uh, that's where maybe technology can play a stronger part for us all. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, Alexander, I know you touched on it initially, but I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> I think we just lost Alexander, she's just sort of moving around, I'll wait for it to come back in. Um, so so um, I, I've just seen sort of a post on the chat as well about, you know, if you've got any questions for, for Hayley and Alexandra, please do to add them. We'll, we'll come back to that as we go forward. Um, so maybe we can drop into the, the more specific discussions around um, on, on this topic, which we wanted to cover about how to really support suppliers, because we talked about communicating with them. We talked about that sort of two way flow of information. But um, one of the challenges I think that we all have in, in the suppliers is that when you're really saying to them, you know, we need you to change, are they really being as transparent as, as, as they should be and as um, uh, focused and therefore sharing the information they need to be about their supply chains um, and, and what their supply chains look like? And I, I'd be interested, Hayley, in your thoughts on that because, you know, you can talk to the converted almost yeah. <laughs> you get them yeah absolutely but when you start to get to those suppliers who avoid the issue don't really want to talk about what's going on or what they're doing how do you what, what needs to change there to really get those suppliers on board and understanding and then implementing some of the things they need to implement i think that that, that with that you need to sort of like engage with them to explain um, and allow them to understand the benefits for them as a business um, because if you think about, you know, environmental is much further forward than social um, and, uh, sustainability. And the, re the reason that that happened initially, um, because I used to look at environmental as well, uh, you know, I used to look at environmental and social, um, uh, you know, so, uh, and I moved much more to the social side because it's an area that I, that I felt more drawn to. Um, but when we look at why people originally moved to um, environmental reporting and improvement was because there was a benefit in it for them. They could actually 
save money by saving power they could actually you know by using less fuel by you know by using uh, you know using less polluting um uh substances in in sort of like uh, in agriculture it would is actually saving them money so i think that there was a real um a real benefit to them but you know it's trying to explain those benefits for them and um and basically ensure that that there is a benefit in it for them you know that isn't just penalizing the supply chain because if you're gonna you know it has to be a win-win between you and your supply chain you can't force these things down and just expect them to take the hit because supply chains aren't robust enough to be able to do that there isn't enough margin especially in food supply chains and i know i talk about food but you know that that tends to be the area that is very very um tight on margins and obviously you know um, very much involved in sort of like from a from a sustainability perspective, absolutely, um, you know, called to account on those aspects. So I think you know that it's basically making sure that we we do build you know build some robustness in uh, uh, into the supply chains, um, and it's not just. Um, I noticed um, that I think there was a there was a comment about you know the retailers having the power, and you know it needs to be more of a partnership than a power play because it's never going to work like that. And I think now more than any any other time before, and I've been in retail for a very long time, um, you know there is mu a much better power balance um, <clears throat> than there ever was. Um, you know there's there's very difficult things that you know that that happen within supply chains, but you know ultimately you, you know it's consumers that drive a lot of change um, and if consumers and investors are the people driving this and we can actually make it worthwhile for people in our supply chain to understand that you know this is a benefit to you um, there are so many benefits you can have from sustainability both you know i, I think i've mentioned this last time but robert g eccles has done a lot of um a lot of um studies on how being a more sustainable business makes you a more profitable and a more stable and long-term business. So it's absolutely like incredulous that people won't even look at that and say, you know, well, it's going to cost me. Well, actually, no, that the evidence shows that it's going to make you money. Yeah, yeah, and I think. Yeah, welcome, welcome back, Alexandra. Um, I saw your sort of Wi-Fi problems in your hotel room. It's the joys of travelling again, eh? You can actually sort of uh, get that through. But, but I think. Uh, that sort of aspect of collaboration, I think, you know, the point you made, Haley, is you know, sort of two-way communication is there. But but is there also a piece about you know educating suppliers, helping them to understand, as you described there, you know, so so what the benefits are and why they should do this? Because sometimes they'll hear the well, I need to, but actually, do they fully understand the benefits to their organisation and their business if they make the changes? I mean, Alexander, interested in your comments there. So. It's, it is a really important um, dynamic, right? That this is a this is an issue that is affecting all of us, and um, corporations and big organizations like the NHS are are making net zero targets and 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 asking their suppliers to get on on this uh, journey with them. Um, and some suppliers, um, mostly those who see a, a, a commercial you know, driver and benefit for themselves, um, uh, are, are on this journey already. Um, and they can, you know, where there's a really clear business case for them to do it. Um, some aren't. And some, you know, some some are struggling to just stay afloat. And that's really, um, you know, really something we need to, to keep in mind when we 
ask of tough things of suppliers. However, this is a problem that this is the problem of our time. This is this is the challenge. And we, you know, right right before I got cut off and apologies for that, but that the we were talking about collaboration and a and climate change is a problem that needs collaboration. No single person is going to solve it. And that is going to mean that we need to rely on our passion um, to a certain extent and our and our will and our commitment, but we also need to create a vision of a better future together. And that's a more profitable future. That's a more sustainable future. That is a future where we take care of nature and we and we uh, put in good you know good processes and sort of in terms of our um, you know with food in terms of our our soil and agriculture going forward. And I think there's there's that conversation you can have that is the sort of the the you know the the positive let's do this together we're all this in this we're all one humanity um and then there's also the part that we've introduced as well which is that if you don't do it then we're not going to work with you right and and that's that's kind of you know it's like yes we're going to give you some time and yes we're going to make it as collaborative and, and we're going to support you but if you don't do it sorry but you're not going to work with the nhs after right. a certain date yeah. And that's and that's why you know we're, we need to be so clear about our expectations, give suppliers the best chance of success, raise the level, the overall level of expectation and performance of our supply chain overall. And for those that say that they're not getting involved, they're not going to do it. Well, then they'll have to find other other people to sell to. Yeah. I, and I think just just on that thing of you know you said there's there's a bit of a a threat there at the end, which is you know is a business threat in a worse that so you can lose this lucrative contract as you go forward but actually i think there's a few questions coming in here and i think uh Eshwal, welcome back to you thanks Eshwal is great he always puts loads of questions up here whenever we run supply chain talk which is brilliant um but i think he's he's, he's raised a few things there which maybe build on that what is about um i suppose pre-qualifying suppliers you know what require what, what what requirements do you put there i think the second point is then put about how do you then measure performance so as you're saying, you know, hold you to account, but actually what is the real measures that you would put onto a supplier? Um, because ultimately, if you want to get rid of them, you need to, they need to be able to demonstrate what those real KPIs or those performance measures are. So I'd be interested in both your comments on that in terms of both the requirements up front, but also then how would you then go about really measuring performance in the right way? Um, I'll respond to that just first quickly because I wanted to say, I, you know, no, we don't want to not work with any suppliers, uh, but we just want to be, to be clear that we mean what we're saying and it has impacts if if people don't engage. And so what I, I the, Duncan, that, that point is so important. You know, how do you measure it? Because we have to create an equal playing field. You can't tell people you're not going to work with them if you don't make it clear what you expect of them and then give them a way of telling you how they're doing it. Otherwise, you know, it, it all falls apart. So, um, you know, in our case, we've created um, our, we have a supplier roadmap, but we also are creating a, um, an assessment framework for suppliers to tell us what they're doing. So the minimum expectation from, you know, great, that that'll be reflected through that, but it's also an, a, way, a, a way for suppliers to tell us what they're doing extra on top of, on top of what we're asking as a minimum expectation. And that I think is um, really, really important because we have a, a, a clear structure 
and language of communication between us and our supply chain to make sure that we're we're providing that structure. So if they don't engage with those, you know, those those clear uh, parameters that we set out, um, then then we can clearly document that and say this is why we're not going to be working with you. Um, but equally, we give have the chance in the meantime to say this is this is actually not that difficult. We're not we're not trying to make really big barriers for you. We're trying to improve the viability of your future business as well. And this is how we, we want to engage with you. Um, and I, I, I think exactly the same as, um, as Alexandra, really, because um, we have, um, you know, in terms of qualification uh, of supply chain and suppliers, there are lots of systems and processes in place to actually pre-qualify supply chain before you actually bring them on. Um, so that, you know, through a variety of different checks, and that could be through, um, you know, through financial audit, it could be via, um, via ethical audit or, um, you know, environmental aspects. A lot of suppliers have to provide a lot of data up front, actually, to bring them on. Um, and I think then once you once you've, you've pre-qualified your supply and uh, supplier and brought them on board, you set the parameters exactly like Alexandra was saying. You see, you've got these parameters that you, they they need to to meet those requirements. Um, but beyond that is exactly what what she was saying about the fact that there's also they can show you what extra they're doing. And lots of businesses that I work with do more. Um, you know, uh, back of all who were mentioned in the actual um, supply chain in, in that uh, article, you know, they're very much um, up and uh, up and center forward. They've got a very good program in place that is that is probably um, more than meeting the standards required by their by their customers um, and actually exceeding it in certain places, um, you know, so that, that so they're actually showing this level of um, transparency and actual proactivity in this place in this space rather than just sitting back and saying okay i'm just going to meet these few parameters you put in in place so i do think there are ways to record it and you know all of this is all of this data can be recorded um, in various different places in databases you know people areas people might know of places like sedex for example which is the supplier ethical data exchange um, you know and, and this can be viewed and quantified and we can see where the issues are and where the issues appear we can actually work with them to actually um to actually address those issues um so all of this is done in an upfront and open and honest manner so i think that you know there are ways that you can actually make sure that your 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 suppliers are performing to your requirements and i think that, that point about data Haley, is a really important one though isn't it because there are lots of data sources um, and you know, I, I spoke to two people this morning who were both touting their wares in terms of their um, their ability to be able to sort of measure and track and report on performance. But they're there um, now. So, sometimes the metrics they use are different. Sometimes the, the lens they look through is slightly different. But fundamentally, there are data sources, and I think often we can all get very, uh, you know, I suppose, analytical. We could, you know, is it a perfect data set? Is it the perfect measurement or not? But actually, there's data there. And if we've got good data and we've got a good starting point, then at least we can start to see how things are improving. 
Um, yeah, I think probably, and it's a bit remiss of me actually, when we talked about technology, one of the biggest um, leaps forward at the moment in technology is the availability of these new data sets and the new way of gathering information. Um, and I should have I should have mentioned it earlier, but it's kind of like, you know, there's a lot that you say, there's lots of people touting their wares at the moment. Um, I constantly get contacted by um, people who have all sorts of um, fantastic WYSI um, technology because they want to access my clients via me and sort of like with this new technology um, which is great because some of my clients do need this they haven't necessarily got this in place um, so i do you know i do see that the future will be um, you know the very old clunky school way that i was brought up through this industry is changing to a much slicker um, and more effective way of of harvesting data Go on, Alexandra, you've got to come in there. Sorry, I'm trying to come off mute. Um, so data is a really um, interesting one for us because um, traditionally we we haven't had great data. Um, and that's not an NHS problem. That's generally a supply chain problem. I think a lot of time people working in, in complex supply chains feel they don't really have that clear a picture of um, the complexities uh, of what they buy. We are asking in 2028, we're asking our suppliers to give us the environmental impact of their products and their services. And this is really challenging. You know, scope one and two emissions targets, pretty easy in the grand scheme of things in terms of, you know, it's 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 your direct emissions, it's things you tend to have bills for. So you can sort of see that quite clearly. Um, but you know, from uh, from April 28, we'll be asking suppliers to give us for, you know, the, the impact of, of the stuff they give us and, the, and they sell us and, and, and the, the services. And that really relies on good data and good methodologies for measurement. And, um, I, you know, we have uh, some time between now and then to really clarify what that is for suppliers, you know, because we, we can't have everybody measuring in different ways. Um, and so that's a big part of our of our program over the next year or two. Um, uh, but also, you know, we we'll, we'll just get nowhere if we always if we have if we, we want perfect data. We just won't, you know, that we we our carbon footprint, right? So we sixteen thousand sixteen and a half thousand kilotons of carbon sit in our supply chain, according to the Net Zero report from twenty twenty. Is that a hundred percent correct? I mean, almost undoubtedly, no. You know, we we know that it, it's not perfect, but we know that we have to start somewhere, and and that's being a bit brave with data. I think is really, really an important principle. Um, and sometimes it's eighty twenty, and sometimes it's sixty forty, and and um, you know, as long as it's as long as it's something that gives you a direction and a clear way forward, you can improve the data over time. But, you know, particularly in the in the area of net zero, we just have to get going on this agenda. We can't wait around for perfect data. We have to be able to say, OK, look, these are the things we know are big impacts. Let's see what we can do to address those right away. Yeah, I, I remember being in discussion with someone recently and they said, oh, it's not net zero anymore. It's sub zero. Um, and it was one of those sort of conversations you looked at and went, really? You know, it's like, does it really matter how you describe one or the other? You know, it's still you've got 16,000 tons of carbon in your supply chain that's a lot to get rid of right you know so so you know it's 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 you know let's not keep raising the bar but we still got a huge amount to go to actually see yeah, I mean, any kind of zero would be great right i mean let's, let's i mean there's a lot of um 
nuance in, in the kind, you know, is it real zero? Is it natural zero? Is it, you know, there's all sorts of, of ways we can talk about this and frame it. But but the truth is we we need to get going on the journey. And uh and you know, climate change is happening, we're seeing it, we're feeling it. And those of us with influence in our 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 wide supply chains have a real responsibility to to put our money where our mouth is and and really you know work with our suppliers to say hey this is not we're not doing this because we want a good csr strategy approval from our patients we're doing this because it matters and it affects health and that you know we are here as a health service and and that i think is you know another really important message to to keep keep going on, which is that, you know, with, without a, 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 a you know, a, a healthy environment, we will not have healthy people. And, and so, you know, if a supplier says to us, why is this important? Why, you know, this is, I've got all sorts of other things to worry about. Well, so do we all, but this is really fundamental and, and it needs to be a, a big priority. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there's a couple of comments in here or questions in from Ashley Cook. And I think, uh, welcome back to you, Ashley, as well. But I think it's one around that sort of, I think just to just build on what you said there, Alexandra, this, you know, you have a responsibility for this. I mean, he calls it the ecosystem, but basically, you know, you're in a, you're in a position of power, you're in a position of influence across the supply chain, getting that supply chain working well and being healthy and driving forward the right initiatives you've got a, a big position of influence and and therefore using that effectively is a key part of what you can bring and i suppose you know, Haley, you know the organization you work with i assume a lot of those are in the same position where you know taking that responsibility for that broader ecosystem and making it work effectively and drive forward on the right initiatives of which clearly you know net zero or um, low emissions or whatever phrase you want to use that, that's that's a critical part that most organizations have to take full ownership for don't they yeah no absolutely um and i think that you know the majority of people i work with absolutely understand that they you know given the size of the businesses um and the work that they're doing within their sort of like supply chains and that they they do grasp that and they they understand you know that it is their responsibility to to address that um I think that, that you know the difficulty is is that you know this is a really big understatement, but it's but it's not very easy. Um, you know, it's kind of like it's a difficult thing to do, but it doesn't excuse it. Um, you know, they they are still responsible for it, and they know they're still responsible for it. Um, it's just you know they're kind of like trying to do the right things, and I do think that there is a real will. If I if I look back you know, 15 years, I just don't think there was a real will at the time and, and people didn't understand how important it was. But I do think now there's a real will to actually move forward. I've seen investment in this, especially in the environmental aspect, um, go up, you know, ridiculously so that we're, you know, lots of people are investing in, um, in you know, obviously, uh, renewables and and making sure that, you know, so, you know, most of their, you know, electricity, you know, some of the, my clients, most of their electricity um, will come from renewables. In fact, one of them has actually already met their um, targets in, you know, uh, five years earlier. Um, they met the, they had the target for 2025. They actually met it in 2020 in terms of being carbon neutral um, on their, um, on their sort of like uh, energy. So yes, they, they are taking it seriously. And I think what's really, it's great that that, that shift is happening, that it's not a kind of a niche, um, 
set of people who kind of see themselves as green who are who are caring about these these um these issues for me the step change is how you start to look at your what we would call scope three emissions you know the emissions of the supply your suppliers and their suppliers and how you start to really influence and and address those because for some of our suppliers, I mean, the NHS, as I mentioned before, 62% of our um, emissions sit in our supply chain. Um, but for some of our suppliers, 92% of their supply chain, of their emissions sit in their supply chain. You know, their, 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 their direct emissions are, are quite small compared to the, you know, the production and, and manufacture of, of, of the products or services they sell. So we, you know, we, it's, it's, it's fantastic to, see the change but we can't be complacent i think we mu we must you know particularly those of us who work in supply chain we have to be ambitious in our scope and not just say scope one and two you know the, the your electricity use and that your the, the the vehicles you own that that's that's important but it it it's really really step one of maybe you know 50 100 steps and and you know, we don't want to intimidate people out of the out of the conversation, but we also want to say to them, you know, this is this is going to need accelerated uh, uh, change and and energy, and it's really important that the conversations are happening. That say, okay, well, you know, fantastic, you moved to renewables. What next? Yeah, and that that's that's really the the kinds of conversations I think we should be having with our 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 networks. Yeah, and I think it's also. Um, examples of where people have done it well to learn from them as well, isn't it? Sort of, so how did you do that? What was the step you took? What was the improvements you made? Um, and, and, and you know, at the moment, there's I think back to your, your point, Haley, there's a lot of people now wanting to do this, um, and, and making some small steps. There are some organizations that have been doing it for a long, long time and have really got some great sort of case studies, examples, and maybe. But we were all going to do a bit of a better job of bringing some of those to life as to how they did it, what the impact was. But as you said, Alexandra, what their next step is, because they haven't just got there and went, oh, thank goodness for that. You know, it's, it's they're now into you know, looking at that supply chain, looking at uh, reducing the level of I don't know, whether it's freight and logistics or improving how things are done or, or where the sort of core commodities come from in the first place. There's a huge amount that they can still do to take that forward uh, rather than just you know, thinking, well, I've got there. I'll, I'll go on to my next project. So, um, Haley, I've got a specific for you that came from James King. I said, Haley mentioned ESLER. What's the abbreviation? ESLER, SLR, or what is it? Um, I don't remember saying any of those, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm not, I haven't a clue what ESLER is. Um, I think you're talking about some sort of uh, retail. Or there's some sort of initiative you're talking about. Yeah, that that's FNET. But um, yeah, so. FNET. FNET is the Food Network for Ethical Trade, so that's what it's short for. There's a website for it if you wanted to go and have a look at it, and it tells what uh, tells about what that is. So sorry if I if my I, I pronounced it a bit weird, but yeah, FNET. Okay. All right, thank you. That that uh, so uh, so either James wasn't listening properly, or he was, and it's uh, his sound went a bit dodgy as, as Alexandra disappeared off into the Wi-Fi hell and, and being in a hotel room. So uh, that's fine. Um, I, I, I suppose you know, there's quite a few other questions that come in, but I suppose there's one here, if you're looking forward, um, and it's probably the one that's literally just coming from, from John about this sort of you know, 
when we look at suppliers um, and when we try to drive change through the suppliers, it's it often you can have a lot of bureaucracy. You can have a lot of form filling and fill in this questionnaire and fill in that questionnaire and do something to take it forward. And, and, and I think a lot of smaller suppliers sometimes get swamped, can't they, with all these questions from all these organisations, but actually spend a lot of time filling the form in, but actually not doing anything about it. So I think it's maybe uh, as a last comment here, it'd be quite good to get your thoughts about that. How do you make it easy for the suppliers to understand without having to go into uh, form filling overload that's coming forward? Yeah. Um, sorry, Alexander, you Okay, I was just going to say, so what, one of the things that we've done is create a, um, I mentioned it briefly before, just a, the, the supplier assessment, but that is an assessment that works across the whole NHS. So every NHS organization, and it's done annually by a supplier as, through a self-assessment, which is relative, it's no cost and it's relatively resource um, uh, light. So we, we're really aware of this. We don't want to create form filling for form filling sake. So, you know, I think we're, we are, that's, that's how we're trying to solve that is, is, is creating, you know, one mechanism for telling us what they're doing and making that a really meaningful mechanism. Um, so I, but I agree, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to waste people's time filling in really complex spreadsheets when actually we want them to be thinking about what they should be doing about, um, about their, their wider impacts. Yeah. Um, sorry, Haley, you just just spit off again. Sorry. Sorry, I thought I turned myself off, but I turned it off and on again, or was it the other way around? Um, so I, I basically I have worked in initiatives that have been like this, and and you know if you think about it, when when you're talking about collectives um, or collaborative uh, or you know. Um, cooperations, for example, in, you know, um, in small holdings and things like that. I mean, how, how do you manage that if you've got some like lots of smallholders working in Africa, for example, um, you know, how you don't want them to feel, be filling in forms all the time. So you have to take a completely different, unique approach to that. And you have to basically say, you know, we're not going to have them filling in forms because it's not going to be worth it for them or for us. It's going to it's going to stagnate the process. We're not going to get any further with that. So you need to look at other ways of addressing this. Um, and certain, you know, in certain areas, um, you know, I've seen uh, collaborations that have come together that have actually looked at, you know, um, a, a, a sort of like a, um, a cooperative as a group rather than looking at each individual supplier. So you you have this knowledge sharing and um, upskilling of supply chain in that sort of like in that cooperative rather than looking at every single farm you know you basically you you basically look at what is the cooperative doing how do you then make sure that you know that's managed it, it is it, it's basically it's it's actually very very effective um, it takes a little bit of um, setting up and, uh, and and dealing with, but we've seen some really good results of working directly with people from a from a both um, a social change perspective and from uh, an environmental perspective using these um, collaborative kind of like cooperative grower kind of um, assessments. Um, things like I don't know if anyone's aware of Caesar's S I Z A, which is the South African Supply Chain Initiative. Um, and that basically, again, the way that they look at um, their groups of, of 
um, you know, smallholders, um, you know, you'd never get those people to fill in forms. You, do, you wouldn't get them to do the bureaucracy around it because it's just not feasible. So you just have to apply a different model. But there are lots of models out there that we can choose from. It doesn't it doesn't have to be a one size fits all. Yeah. I, and I think that's that, that I suppose probably the key one. Is, but, but I think it's also the question is, is around think about Think about it before you just go back to your normal way of I will add twenty four more questions to my supply qualification yeah. questions and I'll I'll do this because that's that's what I've always done. There are yeah. other approaches that's needed here too, and particularly with smaller suppliers because often they are the innovators, they are the ones with the best ideas, they are the ones that can really help you to achieve some of these goals. But they need to that sort of encouragement to do so. So no, I really appreciate that. I, and uh, we have run out of time. I mean, it's, it's um, there's still quite a few questions and comments coming in. Uh, really do thank everyone for for those questions and comments as well. Uh, we haven't got to them all, uh, which probably means that I think we've probably covered these sort of topics two or three times already on supply chain talk. I'm sure we'll come back to it because it is such a important focus for all organisations. But I mean, Haley and Alexandra really do appreciate uh, your time today and for answering the questions and for giving your comments and really good insights that's come from it and stimulated a lot of debate as well. Um, and thanks to those people who've been adding comments in chat and questions. I said, we did get you to, to you all. Um, and a few of you come back, but I think probably this wonderful mug needs to head on its way down to um, John Henderson, um, who I think asked lots of questions, asked lots of comments from the start, stimulated quite a bit of debate on chat as well. So, so thanks for that, John. Um, and really do appreciate your time. Um, so uh, next week, we're going to talk about supply chain network design um, and the technology associated with that and how you can, that can really make a difference. So it's really looking at was fundamentally redesigning network, uh, supply chains and the technology associated with that and how that would really make a difference uh, at, this, at this very uncertain time we've got. So it should be a fascinating discussion next week. Um, but at the moment, uh, so Alexandra, Haley, really appreciate your time today. Thank you for that. Thanks for the audience for joining in. Uh, it's been a great issue of Supply Chain Talk, and uh, I'll see you again next week. Thank you. Thanks, Duncan.